Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the Gigabit recommendation and at its potential impact on the telecom market. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website reactive.com. This is your Active Stack Brief podcast. Today, I'm joined by Camilla Klocht, Acting Director for Connectivity at the European Commission, and Luke Indrik, Director General at the European Competitive Telecommunications Association, ECTA. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. So uh, I would like to start by giving the floor to you, Camilla. The Commission has presented the Gigabit recommendation as part of a broader connectivity package. What is the Commission trying to achieve? Indeed, we presented uh, as a part of Big Connectivity Package also the draft uh, gigabit recommendation. I'm underlining the fact that it's draft gigabit recommendation because it is now uh, in consultation with uh, BEREC, the Association of Regulators, and we are expecting their opinion relatively soon. Uh, what we are trying to achieve, I think we, we have to see where we are currently in the in the Europe with our <clears throat> regulatory framework for uh, for uh, telecommunication markets. To now in this year, we are marking 20 years of the current regulatory regime. We started regulating at the European level <clears throat> telecoms in 2002, and the first recommendation was issued in 2003. So basically, we are now 20 years into the regulatory intervention in the telecom markets. What is very interesting with the regime that we have in telecoms, and it's also very specific for this sector, is that it's fully based on the principles of competition law. So any intervention by regulators needs to be based on very thorough assessment if there are competition problems, if there are issues that need to be addressed, market failures, etc., and then only regulators can intervene. So this is very much important for the for the understanding. Um, how the, the basis for us is, of course, our uh, current framework, uh, the code, um, which is dating back 2018. Uh, and on the basis of this regulatory framework, Commission, in order to help regulators, in order to ensure uh, basically stability and predictability of regulation, is issuing different kinds of guidelines. The current guidance that we are discussing are the guidance concerning access remedies. So basically, what kind of remedies uh, regulators can impose or should impose uh, or not impose on the operators. But basically, the reason why we are issuing this guidance is to provide uh, regulators, but also operators with predictability of uh, regulation, but we are fully based on our regulatory framework. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, now, what we are trying to do with the gigabit uh, regulation, we are trying to balance between two extremely important needs. One is ensuring competition, and the second is encouraging the role of gigabit networks. You are fully aware also that we are now preparing the first report on the digital decade, where we want to land in Europe in 2030, where we have very ambitious targets, including the target to cover with fiber all households. So this is part of the big package, we are trying to make sure in this balancing act that on one hand, legitimate interest of operators who own network infrastructure, uh, which are basically copper or fiber wiring, ducts or masts, uh, 
have conditions that allow them to invest. And on the other hand, that alternative operators like the ones uh, uh, Luke is representing have possibility to access to these networks uh, when and if it is necessary for also their business case. So this is where we are. Uh, what is very important to say that we are still far away from the targets that we establish. So the, 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 the rollout of gigabit network is super important. Currently about 60% of households in Europe, in the EU, are covered with connections, but more uh, than half of those households are still not covered by fiber network. Um, giving the floor now to, to you, Luke. Uh, ECTA has been very vocal against the Commission's proposals. What are your main concerns? Indeed, we have been uh, critical to the uh, entire uh, process for the last two years. And there are several issues, and allow me to put them into three categories. So, firstly, we would say they are procedural issues. And what we believe, what we see is that the Commission has failed to organize a public consultation on a complete draft text and uh, including uh, the annexes. And we believe that the exceptions foreseen in the better regulation cannot apply here because the recommendation will have such a disruptive effect on uh, the contestability of the electronic communication market and the achievement of the internal market, which is an important objective, and of the citizens, the businesses and the public interest that we cannot do that with a real public consultation on the, first, on the full stack. The second thing, for the same reason, is that the European Commission should have uh, performed a full-fledged impact assessment. And that, unfortunately, we have not seen it. And the last point on the procedural issues is that we question the impartiality of the process, notably with regards to the external study that was commissioned. If you commission a study and in a study at the very early stage you discard the pro-competitive options, it's impossible to come out with pro-competitive conclusions. Secondly, we have what we would call legal issues and those are main issues. So the draft recommendation overrules in several aspects the European Electronic Communication Code. And let's not forget that the code is a legislative act approved by the European Parliament and the Council according to a democratic procedure that is embedded in the treaties. So in no circumstances, we could consider that or we could see a recommendation that is solely issued by the European Commission, depart from what is stipulated in the, the act that provides for its legal basis. And it's exactly what the recommendation does. And even worse, during the co-legislative process to adopt the code, the Commission had made some proposals that the co-legislator refused. And now we see the ideas of those proposals coming back through a recommendation. In fact, and more generally, we question the excessive usage of soft law. And it's a little bit the effect of a cheese grinder. And we all use it when we want to put some cheese on our pasta. And when you realize that there is no cheese left, then it's too late, you cannot act anymore. Okay. And what we see is that uh, Camilla spoke about uh, two objectives, competition and rollout of gigabit report. In fact, the, the draft recommendation prioritizes part of one of the four objectives of the European Electronic Communication Code, and there are four objectives. And in fact, it gives erroneously a strong predominance to only part of the first objective, which is to promote connectivity. 
But the first uh, objective also contains uh, a part of access and take-up, which are absolutely important because the part on access and take-up are related to the inclusiveness and to the European social cohesion. Thirdly, on the substance and the consequences if the text would be adopted without uh, uh, changes, it will, in our view, irreversibly damage the pro-competitive and the pro-consumer principle established in the long-standing EU regulatory framework. Camilla mentioned it, it's, it's there for 20 years and suddenly we will damage all those principles. In fact, it might break the European model and it may well break the investment talent of the alternative operators. And in fact, it will not lead to higher investment by the incumbents. The other thing uh, is that uh, Camilla mentioned the high diversity in Europe, but it will have an impact on the national regulatory authorities that if the recommendation is approved, it will remove much of their decisional power to regulate the wholesale fixed access market. And in practice, it will strongly diminish and for an, uh, some aspects amount to annulling their discretionary power. And with Camilla explained that this discretionary power indirectly is important to take into account the differences at national level. And what will be the consequence? The consequences will absolutely be higher prices for EU citizens and company and companies when assessing the I will reduce this one. So the consequence will be higher prices for the EU citizens and company when accessing uh, the internet. And we all know, and it has absolutely been confirmed during the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, that accessing the internet is a key enabler of economic, social, and cultural life in Europe. And aggravating circumstance, this will all happen in a situation where we all see in all EU member states important inflationary trends. So the overall effect will be to further fuel inflation. Eh? And we, we may ask the question, is this why? Because it is, it is in contrast with the European Central Bank efforts to reduce inflation. So we question, should all European institutions not pull and push in the same direction? We would simply uh, recommend to repeal the existing recommendation, so the one of 2010 and the one of 2013 that this one is supposed to replace, and simply withdraw this recommendation. Uh, thank you, Luke. Uh, a lot to unpack there. Uh, so I'd like to park uh, the pricing aspect for for a moment uh, and give the floor back to Camilla. So first of all, how do you uh, respond to this uh, concern raised on the procedural aspect? And in particular, is the Commission trying to propose again some provisions that were in the initial draft of the European Electronic Communications Code, but were later on modified during the legislative process by the College? legislators. So since 2016, I think we adopted at least three recommendations concerning ex-ante regulations, uh, including the current proposal of the gigabit recommendation. And as you know very well, each time we followed the process, also now prescribed clearly in the code, uh, which fully involves stakeholders, uh, starting from uh, consultations, workshops, surveys, and meetings with the with the stakeholders. We, I think we never responded negatively to any request for the meeting during the, the last two years that we had been engaging in preparation of this recommendation. 
Uh, if I recall correctly, we have at least five meetings with, with ECTA uh, during that time, specifically on, on the, uh, during the preparation. So I personally do not see uh, reasons for such a concerns. And I also would like to underline that the only association or that is raising the issue of uh, lack of transparency is, is ECTA. We have not heard this from, from other associations or operators, and everyone had the same access. Not to mention that currently we also publish the draft uh, recommendation with accompanying staff working document, which is also essentially providing all the arguments and very deep analysis of why we are proposing what we are proposing. All, all Everything, I think, was duly taken into account, uh, and I'm uh, quite sure that the process was uh, absolutely transparent. With the gigabit recommendation, we cannot go against the code. This is, this is a bit our Bible. This is what we are following in our daily work. Uh, so uh, when I hear that, that we are crossing the, the the, the, the provisions of the code uh, uh, here, I, I disagree. Everything what is elaborated in the recommendation uh, for the purpose of, uh, of guiding NRAs is included in the code. Uh, and it's included in the current version of the code because uh, I also hear sometimes that uh, maybe we, on some aspects we came back to the previous provisions. No, the, the, the previous provisions that we proposed, uh, this is not legally binding for us, this is not legally binding for anyone. So, uh, no, we are based fully on the code. Uh, in particular, for example, on some issues that, that Luke was raising also before, uh, which is, for example, the encouraging of the pricing flexibility, which is now enshrined in the code, uh, priority given to access to ducts in terms of remedies, it's also enshrined in the code, and also some other aspects that I think, Luke, you were raising, like uh, recognition of the commercial uh, uh, agreements, commitments, co-investment, all of this is now enshrined in the code with the safeguard code, but code is also recognizing one thing which is super important. They, it's very much promoting proportionality of remedies, uh, for which, by the way, NRAs have last word. This is NRAs, national regulatory authorities, that are deciding how they regulate the market, what kind of remedies they are imposing. What we are providing here is guidance, uh, uh, which they can follow and we hope they will follow because we are very much uh, recognizing the fact that we would like to build a single telecom market for the future that is absolutely necessary. But we are also recognizing the national regional circumstances and the NRAs can decide themselves which are the best remedies. But we, we just in this recommendation provide additional guidance fully on the base of the code. Right. So I, I think we should um, move away from this more procedural aspect and, and, and look at this also from a sort of a big picture perspective. We have heard uh, Breton, but also Vestager in the past, um, sort of uh, pushing in the direction of cross-border consolidation for the telecom market. And indeed, uh, one of the arguments that we see more often is that the European telecom sector is weak compared to international companies competitors because there are too many operators. So uh, look, isn't this recommendation simply going in the direction of market consolidation? If you would have a look at the website of uh, the GSMA, uh, you will see that uh, there are 44 uh, mobile operators registered in the, in the United States. 
So 44 and not three, as many people uh, very often uh, suggest. And if we compare that with each European country, I think there are maximum five in, in, in some countries. So Finland, there are five. And, and Italy starts uh, with five if we count uh, FastWeb uh, as the operator as well. So that's the first thing. Okay? But more important in all those kind of comparisons, because that, that's where it comes from, in fact, eh? is that if we look what happens during the, the COVID pandemic, in Europe, we resisted very well. People could uh, easily work from home, follow schools from home and so on. What we saw in the United States is that many students had to go to a McDonald's to be able to follow their course online because they could not afford decent intercon uh, internet connection at home. So that's a fundamental, fundamental difference. Coming to the point of, is the tele European telecom sector weak? I would say no. I do absolutely not consider the European telecom sector as weak. We see massive investment in fiber and 5G. And if we would look, for example, in France, Isla Il Iliad, eh, the alternative operator, eh, which is today serves 10% of the of the Europeans, is market leader as has announced that he already covers 85% of the population. Eh? And the investment rate of Iliad uh, as a percentage of revenue has often turned around 30%. And we have seen similar rates of investment uh, with FastWeb in Italy or MassMobile in Spain. And this is far above incumbents that on average invest 15% of their revenue. So is the recommendation simply going in the direction of market consolidation? Well, I would say two things, two different things. The first thing would be on cross-border consolidation. So where you, an operator uh, consolidate, consolidate outside of his own market and uh, in-country consolidation. So if we start from uh, the cross-border consolidation, I would think that the recommendation will absolutely impede cross-border consolidation. Why? For a very simple fact, eh? there are more mobile operators than fixed line operators. And there is also a simple reason because the cost to deploy a fixed line operator is, is in average 10 times more than to deploy a mobile network operator. And so if co cross-border consolidation would happen, it's likely that an operator, a mobile operator in the country would be acquired by an operator outside, outside the country or from another member states. And what we have we seen over the last decade? We have seen that conversions has accelerated and bundles offers become increasingly important. So we see that it's not unusual to uh, sell together with uh, a, mobile off, a mobile service, a fixed line. Uh, service and this has impacted the strategy of the mobile centric operators that had to reconsider their strategy in fact to uh, secure their mobile customer bases and they had to enter and to begin to offer uh, fixed services and to do that they had to secure access to fixed network but if we look at the, the recommendation we recognize that access to civil engineering is an important remedy eh, to be able to build uh, your, your network, but it has strong limits and it does not allow eh, to compete over sufficiently large part of the country because what is important, and certainly when you do uh, TV marketing and so on, eh, and you want to have an advertising on, on, on prime time, but you pay the full price. And if you only cover 20% of the 
of the territory, yeah, then it becomes very expensive, so it does not work. So in the absence of an appropriate and secure access to passive and active access to another fixed network, what will happen is that the business case for cross-border consolidation will be highly risky or simply not work and not be viable. So that's the first thing. The second one is more perfidious and relates to in-country consolidation. So what we believe is that the underlying motivation behind the Commission's proposal is to increase the revenues of the ex-monopolists, such as Orange, Touch Telecom, or, or Telefonica. And so if adopted, uh, the recommendation will have an effect that it will reduce the competitive strengths of the alternative operator. It will disrupt, in fact, their ability to invest in fiber and 5G, increase their cost, and uh, by that, it will reduce their profitability, which is all a, uh, a kind of uh, consequences uh, of, of, of the recommendation. Thanks, Luke. Uh, I, I think that uh, you touched on quite a, an interesting point there, which is uh, that of wholesale prices. Um, Camilla, it is not only ECTA saying that uh, the recommendation might lead to higher prices for consumers. We have heard this also uh, from consumer organizations that have raised concerns about um, the part on pricing flexibility. Uh, and more generally, if the intent here is to consolidate the telecom market, that would uh, inevitably lead to higher prices. So how, how can you explain uh, that to European consumers? Uh, first of all, uh, Luke said that European telecom sector is not weak, and I cannot agree more. This is the, comp the regulatory framework that we had for 20 years, created incredible possibilities for investments, both for the uh, incumbents, but in particular for alternative operators, giving indeed uh, significant possibilities to, to, to develop. And I think we should be all proud of what we have in Europe. On the purpose of this recommendation, I disagree that this recommendation is facilitating further consolidation. What this recommendation is facilitating is for the harmonization of what is happening on the EU uh, market. Uh, of course, again, recognizing the fact that, uh, that conditions for, for competitions, regulatory conditions, market developments might be different in different member states. Even locally or regionally, we are starting to see uh, regulators analyzing local markets uh, because this is how diverse competition is thanks uh, also very much to what uh, what operators uh, under ECTA have managed to achieve. So this needs to be fully, fully recognized. Uh, however, I don't see how the recommendation per se is facilitating uh, per se consolidation. And with consolidation, as you know, and as also Luke rightly said, there are, there are different types of consolidation. We talk about cross-border consolidations, which of course could benefit the the European uh, the creation of the European single market, but of course each transaction needs to be fully assessed under the competition law. Uh, and of course the in-country consolidation, which uh, which is also happening, but also requires very full assessment from the competition point of view. And this remains uh, a regulatory framework has no 
particular impact on how the how uh, how the assessment is done on the on the merger side, and it's very important that it's done on case by case. On the issue, if this recommendation by the fact that uh, we refer to the price flexibility or we focus on the access to DAX, which is absolutely in line with the code and the regulatory framework, uh, might increase the prices for the end uh, consumers. First of all, um, I think there is a bit of misconception here because it is not because of this recommendation that prices may increase. Uh, there are other factors which we also mentioned here, uh, starting with COVID, uh, but going now to the current political, geopolitical crisis, uh, in particular the, 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 the invasion, aggression on Ukraine, which basically driven the energy prices uh, up uh, and put us in very difficult economic situation, uh, including the increasing inflation. So this is something that needs to be recognized. The recommendation per se uh, by uh, de facto recommending what is already in the law uh, does not will bring not they will not bring the significant change. Uh, and to be absolutely honest, uh, I don't, when I, when we look back and what we received so far in terms of comments after we published the DEF recommendation, I do not see so much intervention from the consumer associations on this regard. I, I see mostly, in fact, ECTA and operators that are saying that because of this recommendation, the prices for foreign users might increase. On the other hand, yes, we have to admit that we need investments in the telecom networks preferably with fiber networks across the EU. The mobile connectivity is very much based on, on 5G. This is just a future and for which, of course, the investment needs to be done. But remember that we have also uh, universal service provisions under the regulatory framework. So there is always safety net which would ensure that nobody will be left behind. And this is what this, for this commission what is super important. Thank you, Camilla. Um, so investments are indeed important. Uh, the digital target put some very ambitious uh, investments in terms of connectivity. Um, but uh, when we look at the offers that we have from alternative operators, look, uh, some of them are, are, are very low. Um, if, if I take my own home country, um, Italy, you have subscription, mobile subscriptions with uh, 120 gigabit per, uh, for 8 euros per month. Um, so how, how can we keep prices this low uh, while we need these massive investments in 5G and, and fiber networks? Uh, you refer to Italy and... Uh where the prices are indeed lower than in other countries. And allow me to compare with, uh, with France, for example, where uh, we would see that for a similar offer for 120 uh, gigabytes and illimited SMSs and call, you would pay uh, 20 euro if it's a 5G offer and around uh, 15 euro uh, if it's 4G. And uh, from an ECTA perspective, we consider France as a competitive country where you have fill four uh, full-fledged fixed mobile operators competing and several uh, mobile virtual operators uh, also competing. And uh, so we might indeed question the sustainability of the prices we see uh, in Italy. And the question is, why are they what they are? Well, I would say it's a result of a deliberate choice of the competing operators uh, when they reacted to the market entry of new operators. Because what do we see? We see uh, a market entry at €8 Euro for 120 
uh, gigabyte, and then we see the existing uh, operators uh, uh, trying to counter this market entry by uh, going at offers at seven euro for, for, for similar products. And that's a deliberate choice. Uh, because one has to know that it's usual when an operator enters a market that he acquires a minimum and uh, market share, a sustainable market share. And the best way to do that is to come with, uh, in fact, an aggressive price. But there are many possibilities to react to that. So the, the entering into a kind of price world is something that is, that is a choice and that is not the only alternative. So, but let me comment uh, also on what Camilla uh, said before. And, and I would like to give the example, for example, of uh, France again. Iliad has uh, announced several times, and they have been uh, uh, invited to the French Senate to, uh, to explain uh, how it was possible, that they would not increase their prices for, for their mobile offers. Despite the inflation, they would keep their prices unchanged and they commit to invest and they invest a lot. We disagree uh, with the fact that the recommendation would not, would not be the factor that would increase the prices. The recommendation contains uh, elements that link uh, the wholesale prices to the retail prices of the S&P operators, so mainly the incumbents. So the prices will go up and they will go up because simply of electronic communication issues and with no, no, no other elements and because of the introduction of the recommendation and it will definitively uh, feed uh, inflation. Okay. On the elements, on does the recommendation depart from the European electronic communication codes? Yes, it does. It does because uh, if it would not, uh, the commission would use the same text that is in the code because the code is clear. And one important thing, uh, and we recognize that in theory, the recommendation is not binding, but what this is, is that there is a process foreseen in the electronic communication code is that the regulators, when they take a decision, they have to notify it to the European Commission and the European Commission will look at the decision of the regulator and the commission will then look if the regulator has followed what the commission put in the recommendation and if the regulator does not follow what the commission has put in the recommendation, then the commission uh, certainly, when it comes to remedy, we wrote, we write, in fact, a, a very strong letters or very strong comments letter that in, in practice means that the regulators has lost its independence or his, uh, his powers to decide from its own, because if he would do that, he will significantly reduce the legal cert certainty of his decision. And in practice, what we see every time that there have been strong comments or even on, on market analysis vetoes or things like that, the regulator has withdrawn his decision. So de facto, the recommendation is banding. And yes, it is absolutely, absolutely diverging from the code. So why do we need a recommendation to interpret in one way or another the code? The regulators are, have sufficiently experienced to do that. Thanks, Luke. Uh, let's give Camille a uh, last reaction uh, to, to these uh, rather strong statements. So do we need the recommendation in, and is the uh, notification system making it uh, much more impactful um, than a non-binding uh, document as it is? 
Thank you very much. I'm really happy that Luke uh, finally agrees that we need the code <laughs> for our framework, uh, because framework. already in this framework, I have to admit there are several elements that uh, that we um, that we refer to in the recommendation. In particular, the the, the, the price flexibility that you are very much criticizing that it uh, that it should not be given to to NRA. So I see a little bit of contradiction, to be absolutely honest, with some of your your statements. Uh, but of course, this I understand where it is, of course, coming from. Um, maybe a few just comments. Um, why we need this recommendation? Uh, first of all, uh, currently in place are two recommendations, one from 2010, the second one is from 2013. Both are simply outdated. Uh, and they have been, as, as you know very well, uh, adopted um, before uh, before the, the, the code was uh, prepared and adopted. So. We simply need uh, we need to, to 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 renew the advice that we are giving to the NRAs, and I again underline advice, because the recommendation is not binding for the NRAs. The national regulatory authorities issue their own decisions uh, regarding. In market reviews and access access uh, remedies as well. In particular, for the access remedies, uh, we cannot veto the decisions of the NRA. So they have very significant flexibility. I see very big value added of the recommendation, not only because my colleagues had been working on it for two years and it was based on enormous amount of analysis data, looking into the our former decisions, decisions of the NRAs, very much in collaboration with, with regulators and based on their best practices. I consider it as a, basically the set of the best practices. What we have collected in the last years, uh, what we managed to, to already achieve under the code, I do not for sure consider it as uh, breaking in any place what are the provisions of the code. We are fully in line with, with the code provisions, including, for example, what Luke mentioned, uh, that priority is indeed given for the for the remedy uh, as access to ducts, but only if it is possible. Uh, there is still possibility for the, for the regulators to provide active access when it is uh, necessary. So there is a lot of flexibility both under the code and under the recommendation. Right. I think we uh, run full circle and at this stage uh, of the debate, we can just uh, agree to disagree. So I would like to thank uh, Luke Hintrick, Director General of the European Competitive Telecommunications Associations, and Camilla Klocht, Acting Director for Connectivity at the European Commission. Thank you both. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Abby Curie. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi, and thank you for listening.